thank you, Greg, for those that serve with him and lead us in worship. Thank you, Tanya, for that beautiful special. Thank you, young men, for helping us take up the offering. I'm so grateful that you are here, either in person or joining us online. And uh, we're just so grateful that you chose to be here this morning with us to worship at First Baptist Church. I don't know about you, uh, but I was greatly blessed last week uh, with uh, when Brother Greg brought the, the message. I, 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 when I asked people about it, they said it was a very timely message. And I thought, well, that, uh, that, that fits right where he was at. But we appreciate you, brother, if we haven't mentioned it already, just for your service and your willingness to be used by God last week for us. So we're so grateful for that. I hope that you have a Bible with you this morning, hopefully in some type of a print, tangible version. But if you uh, do not, I hope that you have a Bible on your phone or some type of electronic device. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And also, hopefully when you came in, you got a copy of the bulletin. Uh, this is kind of the uh, miscellaneous Sunday when we print off the bulletins we have a certain number that are left over every single week well then you've got a certain number what do you do with them you don't want to throw them away you don't want to let them go to waste so once we build up a certain number we just run them and so uh, you may have a different bulletin cover than the person next to you it's not that you get last week's or last month's it's just we don't want to be wasteful and so that's just a, a, a cornucopia if you will of bulletin covers but hopefully, hopefully on the back of that there'll be some notes that you can reference as we work through God's word this morning and so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. We've been walking through this letter of Paul to the church there in Ephesus as he is encouraging, exhorting, admonishing the church and how it is that they live faithfully, not only in their context, but faithfully to God. And so we've been looking at all of these things that Paul has been instructing them and by extension us in how it is that we live faithful in the world in which we live. Now, I'm going to read here in a few moments. I'm going to read the passage that we're in. And so you may look at this and you may say, well, uh, what, what is the application or what is the context? I'm just going to tell you that what the context is the context. And so this morning, my intention is not to try to uh, pluck um, exact one-for-one -one comparisons out of the text, but I rather I think there's some principles that we can definitely take from the text in our time this morning. Now, let me just get to the text and then we'll get to, um, get, get to our understanding of the word. It says in chapter 6 and verse 5, if you will notice, there are only two sentences in my English translation. Your English translation may be different. Even though it's numbered by multiple more verses, there's really only two sentences and that's the structure that we're going to use during our time this morning. It says there in chapter 6 and verse 5, Paul writes this, bond servants, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. May God add understanding and application to his word this morning. It was the summer of 1929. It was Atlanta, Georgia, there in the summer. Of course, back in those days, you didn't have a lot of air conditioning, you didn't have a lot of the amenities that we have today. And there was an eight-year-old young boy named Truett. And he decided he was going to go in business for himself. So his business scheme was that he would go buy a six-pack of Coca-Colas, the bottles and the six-packs when they sold them that time, and he would buy them a six-pack for a quarter, and then he would go door-to-door -door selling them and the individual bottle for a nickel. 
So he got his wagon together, got his Coca-Cola loaded up in the wagon and was going door to door selling bottles of Coca-Cola for a nickel apiece. And he had some marginal success, but he noticed that his neighbor across the street would sit there in the middle of the afternoons in the heat of the day there in Atlanta, Georgia, and she would be sipping on a Coca-Cola. But the problem was that she wasn't buying it from him. And it seemed day after day he would wonder what he has to do to earn her business because day after day, hustling from door to door, but yet he could not get his own neighbor to purchase. One day she finally told him, she said, young man, the reason why I don't purchase from you is because on these hot summer days, I like my Coca-Cola chilled. And yours are room temperature at best. And so she didn't like the wares he was selling. Well, that gave him an idea. So he went back to his mother's icebox and he chipped some ice off the... And back in those days, you had the frost and everything. He chipped some ice, cooled down these Coca-Colas. And the next thing you know, he wasn't going door-to-door selling Coca-Colas. He just had a stand set up in front of his house. And people would stop by on their way home from work because of the refreshment of a chilled Coca-Cola. Even at the age of eight, he learned what customer service was about. Fast forward to his teenage years, he's now carrying a paper route and he, by his own testimony, when he took on this paper route, he treated every single customer as if he was delivering to the governor's mansion. So every time he was delivering a newspaper, he made sure it wasn't in the bushes, it wasn't where the dog could get to it, if it was raining, it wasn't in in the exposure. He wanted to treat every single person as if they were the governor and he would take the same great care as he would for them. And you fast forward some years later, in 1946, this same young man, by the name of Truett, along with his brother Ben, opened up what is known as Dwarf's Grill in Atlanta, Georgia. They decided they're going to go in the restaurant business. They opened up this diner. It's a 24-hour diner. But it is in this diner that they perfected the recipes and the service that has become the iconic chicken sandwich. It wasn't too many years after that, 1946, that in 1967 they began to pioneer having restaurants in shopping malls, something that people had not even thought of in that point. But yet when they came into the shopping malls, they did not call it Dwarf's Grill, they called it Chick-fil-A. It wasn't until 1986 that they had their first stand-alone restaurant. Up until that point, they had been just simply in shopping malls. Now you are, most of us, I believe, are familiar. It's in 47 different states and multiple different countries. You will find Chick-fil-A's all around. And as you go to Chick-fil-A's, one of the signature things is when you come in and and you make your order, somewhere in that interaction, you're probably going to hear these two words. My pleasure. Where it came from was that Truett Cathy was at a high-end hotel. He was thanking the bellboy for doing a service for him. The bellboy said, my pleasure. That stuck in his mind. That stuck in Truett's mind as being such an act, such a response to show that it's not about what I can get out of the interaction. It's that I am here to serve other people. And so he took those two words and implemented in all of his franchise, all of his business owners, all of his employees. And that is why you're here today. Because of the impact it made on that man on the service that he received from the bellhop. It was attributed to Truett Cathy that he made the statement one time that Chick-fil-A is not in the fast food chicken business. Chick-fil-A is in the people serving business. He may say, well, Spence, why do you say all of this? Because brothers and sisters, we as a church today, we are not in the church growth business. We're in the people getting saved business. 
We're not in trying to increase our numbers. We're not in trying to increase our budgets. We're not trying to look better than the church down the street. We are not trying to be known or to have a reputation. We are not here so that people have, know how great we are. We are here to make much of God and tell people how great God is. And sometimes we misunderstand what we are here to do and we forget that no matter what your place is in life, all of us are here to serve one ultimate creator, but by doing so, everyone is serving someone. Now here in this passage, you may say, well, what in the world are you trying to, how are you going to connect this to the passage that we just read? Well, here's what I'm going to try to do this morning. I want to show you here in this text that Paul is going to talk about two positions, two positions that the people, the majority of the people were in, but yet they shared a common posture and how this relates to our service in the church and in the world and before God today. So the first position that I want you to see and you'll see there in there in your notes is that of the bond servant. The bond servant. Now, quite literally, bond servant is coming from the Greek word doulos, D O U L O S. And quite literally, it meant a slave or servant. Back in those days, it is estimated that as many as two-thirds of the population there in the city of Ephesus were in some type of servitude. Either they were bought in a, in a slavery-type situation, they had sold themselves into slavery to pay for bills or to care for something, but they said, estimated as many as two-thirds of the people were in some type of a servitude situation. So as Paul is writing to the people, he realizes that a large portion, a large number of the people people that are reading his letter are in this situation. And as he's writing, he's writing to saved, redeemed, born again servants. And he's also writing to saved, redeemed, born again masters. This is not an exhortation or an admonition to the lost. And so he's writing to them because he realized that there are quite a few of these bond servants that have lost bosses, lost masters, lost people that they are employed or in the service of. And so there's questions about what do I do and how do I treat and what are my liberties and what are my rights. And so Paul comes in to say, I, I understand that there are different positions in the society. I understand that you might be in a different setting or in a different position in your own personal life. But I have a word from God how it is that we are to live faithfully to God. And so he begins by addressing the bondservant. Now how does he address them? He says, I understand that you are in this position. Some of it is by choice. Much of it, most of it was not their choice. They were sold like cattle. They were moved around. You think of the slavery, slavery here even in the United States in the last in the 17 and 1800s. We're talking about the, many of the same type of systems. It, it was something that we do not condone. And it's not something that we do encourage. And it's not something that we say was okay or try to excuse away. We recognize that that was the situation that it was in. But in the midst of whatever the person was enduring, Paul said there are still principles to follow. So he says, for the bondservant, obey your masters with fear and trembling. That is back up in verse 5. He wants to remind them and not make light of the fact that they are under the authority of a master. I think there's some principles that you and I can think about our daily lives. The majority of us in this room work for someone else. The majority of us. 
I know some of you are independently wealthy and you don't have to work. Some of you retired. Some of you have other circumstances that you're facing. But the majority of us in this room work for someone else. Now, does that mean that we are a bond servant? Do I look at you and say, oh, we're just a bond servant? I think it's a totally different thing. I don't think the bond servants could call in sick for work. I don't think the bond servants got vacation paid. I don't think they got 401k. I don't think the bond servants got the things that we get today as an employer or under the labor laws or the OSHA. But I do think that just as the bond servant in that time was under the authority of their master, we are also, for most of us, are under the authority of a supervisor, a superior. So the same principles that Paul is going to talk about how the bondservant serves his masters, I submit to you this morning, should be the same principles that we think of when we are serving in our particular vocations or when it comes to our particular supervisors or bosses that are over us. And so Paul makes it very clear. He understands that they are a bondservant. They are under the authority of a master. But then notice verse 5 down through verse 8. He's all talking about the way that they serve those that are in charge of them. He says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Talks about the sincere heart, just like you would Christ. Then he goes on in verse 6, not by eye service as people pleavers, but as bond servants of Christ. And then he gets down to verse 8 and he says, and you know that when you are doing this, not only does God see, but the people around you see. In other words, I want to remind you this morning that the character of our service is being seen by others. And when I say the character of your service, I mean people are looking at you and people know that you go to church. People know that you profess to be a Christian. People know that you think that that you profess to be saved. And so they're watching you. They're watching how you respond when you don't get the promotion. They're watching how you respond when you're not having a good day. They're watching how you respond when that coworker is mean to you or that boss is short with you or you don't get the fair end of the stick. They're watching you to see how you respond in the days in which you live because that person knows that you're saved and so therefore you're being held to a high degree of accountability and they're always watching the character of our service to others they're watching the character of our lives they're watching how we respond with one another they're watching if we get upset they're watching if we do something wrong I I can't tell you how many times that I've, I've been in the workplace and I would do something and somebody would look at me and go why'd you do that you're supposed to be a preacher could have been the same thing they did just five minutes before that. But because they're not a preacher, I'm being held to a higher standard. And brothers and sisters, when we get in our workplace and we get in our places of employment, when the boss knows that we are in church or that we claim to be a disciple follower of Jesus Christ, our character is on display. So Paul comes in here at verse 5 and he doesn't address whether it's fair. He doesn't address whether it's just. He doesn't address whether it's right or wrong. He doesn't address whether everybody else is being treated this way. He doesn't address whether you even deserve it. He says that when you're serving people, you are also serving God. And your service to be God, your service to God should be evident in the way that you serve people. I've had some bosses in my days that I think was mad that I just showed up for work. You ever had those those employers? That it's like you just barely got out of the vehicle and you've already done something wrong. You showed up on time, dressed for work, in a sober manner, fit for duty, and yet you got out of the truck and you were in trouble just because you showed up for work. 
And it's like it doesn't matter what I do. That person's never going to be satisfied. That person's never going to be happy. All that person wants to do is holler and holler and yell and yell. I had a driller one time on the drilling ring. And uh, he, he had a really bad problem with mumbling. And in those times, you had these big old floor motors that are sitting there. It's loud. There's a lot of noise going on. And he's sitting there at the controls. And he, me, 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 me. he's just mumbling something. And I don't understand what he's mumbling. And the, the, the tool pusher behind him understood what he said. Because he was like two foot away from him. I'm ten foot away from him. I can't hear what he says. The tool pusher gets mad at me because I can't understand him and he takes his water hose and just opens it up and just soaking me down (laughs) I think I could have taken both of them at the same time (laughs) now those are some different days (laughs) and I didn't put my hands on one of them but you know the stuff I said to him wasn't the stuff that would be fit to repeat in church And that wasn't right. They deserved it. (laughs) They deserved more (laughs) than what I gave them. But you know what? There's sometimes in life that it's not a matter of how we are being treated. It's a matter of how we will respond to the way that we are being treated. So Paul comes here in this text. And he talks about the first position of that of being a bondservant. So I don't know where your, your position at, where your posting is in life, but you might be in the position today where you are under the authority of someone. And the question that you have before you this morning is how are you serving under the authority that is in your life? But Paul goes on there in verse 9 and he talks about the second position. He talks about the master. He says, masters do the same thing to them. Now, there in the original text there in the Greek, this is the idea of somebody that is an owner, somebody that is a, is a lord in charge charge of someone else. In in the original language, it's kyrios, uh, similar to kurios, but it's the idea that he says there are people that in that setting and even in today, that had this dominion, had had this responsibility, had this kind of position in their life. In other words, we would think of it today, excuse me, as being the equivalent of a boss, a supervisor. It's someone that had a position of leadership, somebody that had some type of authority. How many people do you know, especially these young people today, and they're just ants and saying, well, I just can't wait till I get to be the boss because I'm going to do something different. I just can't wait till I get out of the house and I get to make my own decisions. Oh, I just can't wait till I receive that promotion and then I'm going to be all different and I'm going to do it my way and it's going to be about me, 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 me. Sometimes people start to think that this leadership is something they deserve or they're owed. Paul here in the text wants to remind them, the masters, he says, do the same to them. In other words, the way that I'd put before you this morning is that leadership is a privilege, not an entitlement. It's a privilege, not an entitlement. So he looks at these masters and he says, in the same way that I just got through telling all of these bond servants, all of these uh, employees, if you will, in the same way that I just told them that they should make sure they serve you faithfully, in the same way you are to faithfully serve them. Sometimes people get in a position of leadership, and I saw this even in the military. They'd have a little bit of power, they'd have a little bit of rank, and they'd start getting this big head because they thought it was all about them. And leadership is not about them. Leadership is about the people they serve. It doesn't matter where you get in your stage of life. Leadership is not about people serving you. It's about you serving other people. So he reminds them there in verse 9. He says, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. He's reminding them that be careful. 
Because even though that you think you're the owner, you think you're the boss, you're the one that gets to call the shots, you're still going to answer to someone. And it doesn't matter who you are in this world, everyone answers to someone. I don't care if you're the business owner. You're answering to investors. You're answering to stockholders. You're answering to customers. It doesn't matter where you are at in life. We are always answering to someone. You may get in the position in life and you might be uh, like one of these uh, super ultra rich guys like Jeff Bezos there at Amazon. And you may think, well, I can't wait. I'd love to be him. You wouldn't have to answer to anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Ultimately, every single one of us are going to answer to God. And we're all going to give an account on how we served, how we led, or how we lived in the position in which God put us. Paul comes in here in this letter and he talks to these two people, two different categories of people. He talks to the bond servant, he talks to the master, he talks about how they are to treat one another. But what I want to focus in for the remaining time that I have this morning is that I want you to notice the posture. Because he knows there are different categories in the room, but he is going to exhort them to have the same posture. Now, what do I mean by posture? Well, you think of it in the physical sense. Somebody can slouch. Somebody can sit up erect. Somebody can sit with their back arched. Sometimes people have their shoulders back. Posture has a reference to think about how, how you're standing or how you're sitting or how you're carrying yourself. But then at the same time, when it comes to the posture that I'm using, I'm talking about the position of your heart. See, your heart can sometimes get lazy. It can sometimes get apathetic. Sometimes your heart can sometimes get distracted. Sometimes your heart can get arrogant, prideful, dull. Sometimes your heart can get bitter and resentful. Sometimes your heart can be selfish. Sometimes your heart can only be concerned with you. And when God gives us the Spirit, He gives us a new heart. He, we are a new creation. And so therefore, it is our responsibility to continually consider and care for the position of our hearts. Because if we're not careful, we will become jaded and bitter and discouraged. So I want you to think with me about the position or the posture that Paul is encouraging here in the text. Listen to the posture of their hearts. He tells them, backing up in verse 5, to obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. He wants them to understand that they have, there should be a posture of their heart and this heart should be in reverence and humility to those under the authority they are in. And he reminds us there at the end of verse 5, he says as you would Christ. So he's making the connection that they are to serve their earthly masters the same way that they are serving God. In the same way, you go down to verse 9, and he is saying at the middle part of verse 9, knowing that he who is both their master. In other words, he is reminding them that both positions, both the bondservant and the master, both are under authority to God. See, it doesn't matter about where your vocation is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter about your education in this room this morning. It doesn't matter about your experience, your gender. It doesn't matter about who you are, your last name. None of that matters. The reality is that every single one of us are all under the authority to God. Sometimes people will come into the church and they will think, oh man, I wish we could get them to start coming here. Oh, 
boy, the doctors show up and the lawyers show up and people start licking their chops going, boy, if we could just get them, get them to start giving, get them to start tithing, boy, the things we could do then. If their heart's not right, what does it matter? Or we start to think we're going to bring in a dynamic speaker, we're going to bring in a dynamic music. Was that Georgia Clay that we sang? Beyond Wonders, Majesty. Third day, third day, third day. I was, I was close, close, close. But it's the idea that we, we, we think that we're, that was just a suspense moment. So we, we think sometimes that we're just going to bring these people in and we're just going to grow exponentially by numbers and that's the answer. The answer is for a community and for a church to recognize that we are all under the authority of God and to live like we are under the authority of God. So it doesn't matter your position. It doesn't matter your place. What about the posture of your heart? Is the posture of your heart in humble service to God. And it's not just that that he's talking about the posture. He's talking about the posture also of how we serve others like Christ. He says that there at the end of verse 5. As you would Christ. And then he also reminds us there in verse 9. And yours is in heaven. He, he wants to remind them. Wants to remind the reader that it doesn't matter whether you're a slave. Doesn't matter whether you're a free man. Doesn't matter whether you're a boss. Doesn't matter whether you're an underling. It doesn't matter where you are at. No matter what position you might be in, you can still serve others like Christ. True, Kathy said that when he implemented the two words, my pleasure, into their customer program, he said it was amazing how many people would write in because they would see these high school students that'd be out there taking their orders and they would still look at them and say, my pleasure, and how that transformed the impression. It transformed the attitudes. It wasn't that they had a wonderful chicken sandwich that tasted well. It wasn't a matter of their pricing. It wasn't a matter of their colors or their marketing. It was a matter of the people serving other people and it made such a big difference but you see the effect of it today. Two lines. Two drive through lines. Multiple people sitting outside taking orders from car to car to car. I can go through two lines at a Chick-fil-A and more in less time than it takes me to go through a Sonic and Chandler. And it makes an impression. It leaves a mark. Paul is saying that should be the position of our heart, the, the posture of our heart, if you will. We should have that same attitude. We are serving others just like we are serving Christ. It should be no different. We shouldn't give Christ better than we give someone else. We shouldn't give someone else better than we give Christ. But the problem is, is so many times in this world, we start serving other things more than we're serving God. I serve my hobby. I serve my family. I serve my sports. I serve this. I serve that more than I'm serving Christ. Or you'll even hear people talk about uh, having growing up in a minister's home and the minister neglected his family for the sake of the church. And neither one of them in the posture that God calls us to have. So he reminds both the bondservant and the master, I want you to understand the posture of your heart matters because both of them are demonstrating the relationship with God. Both of them are saying, this is who I am. This is how I identify as a believer is how I am interacting with you. I struggle with road rage. Now if everybody drove correctly, it wouldn't be such a problem. I sat there in Mr. Willis's driver's ed class. I took driver's ed. He taught me. He didn't teach me how to drive, but he taught me how to drive legally. <laughs> and 
And if everybody would go back and read the driver's ed manual and would drive according to the driver's ed manual, my stress would be way lower. In fact, it says in the driver's ed manual, slower traffic should be in the right-hand lane. Not the left, the right-hand lane. The driver's ed manual said that you should signal with your blinker at least 75 feet before the intersection. Not at the intersection. <laughs> it, there's all kinds of specifications there in the driver's ed manual. But I struggle because I look at it and say, well, you're not doing it right. So Thursday I was coming back from the south. I get on 177 leaving out of Shawnee. Speed limit 65. I believe a person ought to do 65. <laughs> the vehicle in front of me was doing 53. not cutting it for this guy I pass them legally I continue on my way the next vehicle in front of me they had to turn so what do you have to do you have to slow down so a series of things happened and by the time I left shiny to the time I turned off on 890 road or wherever that road is I turn off I'm still learning the road when I turned off on Bobby Stephenson's road that's how I remember it by the time I turned off the highway on him do you know where that car was at they were at the bottom of the hill You know, so many times we start getting in a hurry in life because we think we know what's faster. We think we know what's better. We think that we're all impatient. We got to go, 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 go. And the reality is, is so much of our times, we don't get that farther along. We've just wasted the opportunities to minister to the people around us. Now, I'm not saying there was an opportunity for me to have a gospel conversation with the person I passed. I'm just saying that in life, so many times we can get so busy and so preoccupied with what we got to do and where we got to go that we forget that God has put us in this world to serve other people. Not to serve ourselves, but to serve other people. And because all of us are therefore accountable before God. In fact, that's what he says there at the last part of verse 9. He says, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. He wants to remind them that both are accountable before God. And so it doesn't matter this morning as you are here of whether you are a bondservant or whether you're a master, whether you're an employee or you're an employer, whether you are a supervisor or you're somebody that's being supervised. It doesn't matter. The question on the table this morning is what is the posture of your heart? You could be on a sports team with a coach. You could be on a committee the church you could be on a community organization it doesn't matter if the posture of your heart is not attuned to God then it doesn't matter how you serve if you're not first serving God so many times in our daily lives, we start to think that as long as we come in here, and as long as we look the right part, and as long as we talk the right part, and as long as we act the right part, then that's all that matters. And we come in, we stand up, we sit down, we smile, we do the things, we pass the plates, and then we leave, we shake the hands, we say, oh, how great it was to be here, blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, is that the posture of our heart never changed. I want you here. I want you people that are watching a lot, I want you here. The fellowship. The interaction, the atmosphere, it's important. But you know what I want more than I want you here? I want your posture before God to be holy. 
And I want God to see in your heart, not somebody that's coming in with eye service, not somebody that's coming in saying the right things, not somebody that's coming in being a hypocrite, but I want God to see people that are coming in with a heart and with a posture in their heart that is attuned, humbly fearing God, serving one another just like they're serving God. So I return to the question on the table is what is the posture of your heart? We come together on a regular basis to observe the Lord's Supper table. When we come to the Lord's Supper table, it really comes down to a question of the posture of your heart. In a few moments, we are going to participate together as a church family. But it would be remiss of me to not remind you of what Paul talked about as being the correct posture of our hearts. He says in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians and verse 17, he says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, and I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul goes later on in the letter to remind them of the punishment that comes if they participate in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, in a way that the posture of their heart is not true before Him. He says in verse 27, Who therefore eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. He's reminding you that the posture of your heart matters because God sees the posture of your heart. Now in a few moments when we come before this table... I want to encourage you, plead with you, actually. If you're here this morning and you have never made a profession of faith and you have no confidence in your relationship with God, do not participate. This is where the people of God, believers in God, disciples of Jesus Christ, this is a time that we observe what Christ has commanded us to do. So if you're here this morning and you know that I am not saved. I've never made that decision. I've never repented of my sins. Confess my sins. When the time comes, just let it pass. You might be here this morning and you may say, well, Spence, I know that I'm in the saved camp, but my posture isn't what it should be. Paul makes it very clear that if you are participating in an unworthy manner, the danger is even worse from God than it might be from the opinions of those around you. So if the posture of your heart is not pure, the posture of your heart is in opposition and rebellion before God, let me plead with you to let the cup pass. As we come, not only do we commemorate what Christ did for us on the cross, but we come to identify with one another what He has done, what He is doing, and what we seek for Him to do in the future. So as we come to this table, we're going to get to the rest of the notes. Please don't feel like I just forgot the bottom half. But as we come, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, am I worthy to participate with the body this morning? Would the deacons join me here?
As these men join me here at the front, I want to give you a few moments of just silence and peace. Just give you a few moments to just consider in your heart and consider in your mind where you stand. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe there's something that you need to give over to God. Maybe there's something in your heart that you just need to say, God, I'm, I'm lacking in this area. This is the time for you to consider the posture and the condition of your heart and to seek what God would have you to do. And then, I'll give you a few moments to reflect upon your own heart and the, post- the, the posture of yourself. And then we'll pray and distribute the elements and proceed further with the service. Brother Steve, would you pray over the elements this morning? the body of Christ the body that was beaten the body that was sacrificed the body that was crucified for us it was the body that was given so that we might have forgiveness of our sins Paul says in his letter for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, Jesus reached for the cup. Cup representing the blood of Christ. Representing the blood that was shed when the crown of thorns was placed upon his brow. Representing the blood that was shed when the sword pierced his side. It was the blood that was shed as the whip slashed across his back and he was beaten mercilessly by the Romans. It was the blood that must be shed for the remission of sins. All through the Old Testament you see that the only way you could have atonement for sins was the shedding of the blood of an innocent animal. In the same way Jesus was the innocent lamb of God that came to shed his blood for the remission of our sins. Paul goes on in describing this scene there in the upper room and he said, in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, men. The example that Paul gives us and that Jesus gives us from the New Testament is that as we come before each other, And as we come before God, not only are we identifying as a believer, we're identifying as a servant of our Creator. 
Let me quickly rush. I know that I'm short on time to give you three different ways that I would encourage you to consider on how it is that we measure our growth. Measure our application. Measure whether we are growing up. We've been talking about these two positions, the bond servant and the master. We've been talking about the one posture that it doesn't matter where you're at, doesn't matter what your age in the room this morning. Every single one of us should have a heart that is humbly in fear, in service before God. But how do we know? How do you know if you are progressing in your faith before God. Three quick things. First of all, the realization and the understanding that service to God is a daily gift. Service to God is a daily gift. How many times do we wake up in the morning and think, I don't want to go to work? Looking for an excuse not to go to work. Looking for some reason why we shouldn't have to go to work. Looking for some reason why we don't deserve to go to work. But we should wake up every single morning knowing that if he has given us a fresh set of 24 hours, God is giving it to us and it is a gift. Some of you all need to wake up on Sunday mornings and realize that coming to church is a gift. It's not community service. It's not court ordered. It's not a drudgery. It's not one of those things that you come just so that I don't follow up and say, why weren't you here? You realize that coming to church is a gift. So maybe next Sunday morning, hopefully, more of you will walk in with a smile instead of a frown. You act like you're coming into a doctor's appointment at the dentist. And I'm not checking your teeth. It's a gift. The second way that we can think about this is that how you serve reflects who you serve. This one hits me right between the eyeballs. How I serve reflects who I serve. So it doesn't matter what your position is, it doesn't matter what your vocation is, it doesn't matter whether it's in the ball field or in the workplace, it doesn't matter whether it's in your home or the restaurant, it does not matter. How you serve reflects who you serve. So if people look at my life and they look at the service that I give to others and to my employers and to those around me, does it reflect me or does it reflect God? And then this last one will be done. Your posture matters more than your position. Your posture matters more than your position. You didn't earn where you're at in life. God has blessed you with it. God has given it to you. And just as easy as God has given it to you, God can take it away. And the posture of your heart matters more than your position because if the posture of your heart is not given in faithfulness to God, then your position is of no value to the kingdom of God. Could it be that God puts you in the position that you're in so that you may make much of him and so that people may see you make much of him in your daily life? So it doesn't matter where you're going out to. It doesn't matter where you're headed to in the morning. It doesn't matter where you find yourself on a week-by-week basis. Every single one of us can serve. Not because they earn it. Not because they deserve it. Not because we want to. We can serve others. Because we are ultimately serving God. Would you bow your heads with me?